Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today, we're talking about the amazing difference 30 days of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo can make in your life through the story of Alex McClintock of Hawaii. Alex, who's 29, is currently a Coast Guard diver, one of the hardest careers to train for. But his story starts in his early 20s, when he felt completely stagnant in his life. Having grown up in a military family based in Japan, Alex had been introduced to Buddhism through his family, but only started chanting when he was living back home after dropping out of college and working as a lifeguard on the base. Knowing something had to change, he decided to try chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo twice a day for 30 days just to see what happened. And slowly, he found himself taking action that completely changed his life. Before you meet Alex, a quick reminder that we're currently running our 31-day Buddhability chanting journey, which started January 18th and goes through February 18th. If you want to sign up, just use the link in the show notes below. Now, here's Alex. So my name is Alex McClintock. I am 29 years old. I am currently a diver in the Coast Guard, and I'm calling from Oahu, Hawaii. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Also, for context, can you just share a little bit about kind of how and why did you decide to start practicing SGI Nietzsche and Buddhism, and what was kind of going on at the time that you started chanting? So... Uh, I grew up in the practice, so my mom was the first uh, generation practitioner, and I didn't practice until on my own until I was about 21, 22-ish, and what happened was I pretty much hit a point where I was like, man, I'm like at rock bottom, and I was doing my usual thing, hanging out with friends having a good time, drinking, smoking, whatever. And there was a point where it just got old and I I wasn't happy and I wasn't enjoying it when normally I would be. So I just kind of went home and made a list of like what I can do to become happy. And that's when I wrote uh, Buddhism on my list. And for some reason it like, it seemed to like shine out out of all the other things. And I was like, why not? I have this practice. I've had this practice here my whole life. And so I was like, let's just do a morning and evening uh, practice for a month. Hmm. That's awesome. It's so direct and simple. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I think this episode is coming out during, um, the month of January when we're going to be doing this like 30 day chanting challenge, which we do a couple times a year for people who are brand new. So um, it's, it's cool that that's sort of also how it began for you. You were just like, I'm just going to do it. Um, So um, when you, I mean, I guess I should ask a little bit context, you know, when you say that you felt like you hit rock bottom, of course, as much as you're comfortable sharing, were, was it like anything specific that you were struggling with at the time that you were like, okay, I need to chant about this or just sort of like a general feeling you were dealing with any, any context that you'd be comfortable sharing? Yeah. So 
I was really just, I was doing the, the same thing every day with friends. Like there was, there was no like goals, you know, we were just, we had a job, we liked to party and that's pretty much all we did. And it got to a point where I was noticing and recognizing that like, this is all I'm doing and this is all that's happening in my life and where I, but I felt this need to like do something like something bigger and it got to a point where I just felt unhappy, like deep down inside, you know, I was literally like sitting there in front of the, a TV with my friends drinking a beer. It was summer. It was freedom at the max. And, mm. um, yeah, it's like, it was funny because I couldn't enjoy that freedom because hmm. maybe I didn't earn it. Maybe I didn't, I don't know. There was just something missing there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, I see. Okay. So then you decided, so you made this list, chanting was on it and, uh, you decided, okay, I'm going to start practicing Buddhism. So what were your first steps? Like what, what, what did the early days kind of look like in terms of your daily practice? And then did, did you see anything start to change? Yeah. So I began with morning, uh, Gongyo, which is the, the recitation of the Lotus Sutra. And, and then I did as much, um, Daimoku as I could chanting nam myoho renge Um, and you know, it was probably like 10 to 15 minutes and I would do that first thing in the morning. And then, uh, in the evening sometime I would do, do it again. And I wasn't perfect. You know, it, it didn't happen every single day, but I want to say the majority of that month, I successfully was able to practice and yeah, like I, I remember, um, I was going to meetings too. So I was also, uh, just being involved. And, um, I remember one time I had just left a meeting and I ran into an old friend who I hadn't seen in over six months. And she literally said, you're alive. Like hmm. as if I was a zombie before that, like be when I known her before, I must've like looked really just lifeless. Huh. And yeah, so that to me, that was shocking. I was like, wow, I didn't know that I appeared that way to others. So it was really nice to hear that, you know, it was like a direct um, proof that this practice was doing something, right? And also, um, I remember going to the gym with a friend and he was just like, hey, what are you, what are you doing after, after this? And normally I would just be like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm just nothing, just going home or something. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I was actually going to a, a meeting, so a Buddhist meeting. So I was, and I didn't like feel that, uh, the need to hide it. I was just like, I was proud of my practice because internally I felt like it was doing something. So I, I genuinely just told him like, oh, I'm going to a, a Buddhist meeting. And he was, and I didn't ask him to like go or anything, but he was like, what? Like, you're a Buddhist? Like, and, and he was like, can I go? And I was like, super shocked. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Like, I did not expect that, you know? Hmm. 
So yeah, those are yeah. those are two events that happened. I remember. Yeah. yeah, right away. Yeah, that's so interesting. So um it makes me wonder so you know if externally it sounds like right away your environment starts to notice hey something's a little bit different about him, right? Whether it's this friend who says that you look alive or or just how you're how you're interacting with this other friend who you're like, yeah, I'm Buddhist and you know, already that's changing, but um what was going on in in the inside, you know, like I imagine, um, cause Buddhism is so much about striving for things and setting goals and like really like, uh, challenging our lives to bring out our best selves and to go from a place where you were sort of not feeling any of that. Did you start to also see kind of a wake up process in that regard? Yeah. You know, I definitely, definitely like felt something inside, like wake up in me that I wanted to I was looking for something like because what I was doing at the time I was just lifeguarding mm-hmm. not saying lifeguarding is a bad job but it was it's a job I'd had for like six years you know since mm-hmm. high school and I was already I was in my 20s and I just I was just looking for something bigger something that I that was challenging I didn't know what it was yet but there was just something I was seeking something like there was there was some like life in me to to um look for and so after high school i went to college in texas for one year and then and then i decided to, i dropped out and moved back to japan so i was about 21 at that point mm-hmm. and then from like 21 to 23 was when like that realization of like unhappiness came about and I started practicing and then I joined the Coast Guard when I was 23. So then how did like the idea to even join the Coast Guard emerge? So yeah, that's also a good story because I was um, lifeguarding on a Navy base. So I would see these Navy guys all the time. And one day my dad mentioned like, oh, you know, have you thought about joining the military? And he mentioned the Coast Guard. And because I never heard of the Coast Guard before. So I was like, I don't really know what that is. But I also like throughout high school, I was like, military is the last resort. Like I was like, I'm never joining the military. I just remember saying that all the time. And then all of a sudden, the military sounded like an ideal job to have. Hmm. So so basically what happened was I started asking these guys that came swimming, like how they, what they thought about their job. You know, I was like, how do you like the Navy? And seriously, like every single one of them said, don't do it. I hate it. Like every single one of them, no matter like they weren't all, it wasn't like a interview I had with a bunch of people or anything. It was like random. And every mm-hmm. single one of them said, don't do it. And I was like, well, have you heard of the Coast Guard? And they were like, oh, I have a friend in the Coast Guard and they love it. And that was the majority of the answers I got for that, too. So basically, at that point, I was like, all right, like, let me look into this Coast Guard thing. And uh, one day, me and my family went to Texas to visit my grandparents. And my dad was like, you want to go check out the recruiting station? Because it's right there. And like sure I didn't know what I was getting into at this point and Mm -hmm. the guy the recruiter was like 
getting all this paperwork uh, started and I was all of a sudden he was like yeah so you could join as early as uh next year right after Christmas um you could spend your, your last Christmas with your family and I was like it all kind of hit me and I was like oh this is happening in like a few months now so it was roughly the same time if I'm understanding correctly that you you started chanting and sort of started feeling a little bit differently day to day but you were also trying to explore like what what do I want to do with my life and then this sort of Coast Guard stuff emerged yeah it was like a three-year process though I from see. that moment when I decided to like take on the practice mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of ups and downs throughout that three-year period yeah, yeah yeah I I hear that um uh on the phone you had mentioned sort of this kind of like the the overall theme of your practice really being a struggle to learn to value your life and that's you know basically buddhism is that right it's that's what we're chanting to really value our lives and to value the lives of other people so um can you share kind of what that struggle looked like you know in that regard um and how how you started really using your practice to tackle it i guess the the point that i really recognize this was when I was in the Coast Guard and I had, I joined uh, the Coast Guard. I went to boot camp and, and I got stationed in Alaska. And that was my first time living outside of Japan on my own. Um, before that, I was, I mean, I guess I was going to college. I went to college for a year, but I was living with a roommate this time I was like, I was on my own. And um, just like seeing the a different environment and being with, I had a, one friend there that I met in boot camp and he happened, we followed the same path to Alaska and we had the same goal of wanting to be a rescue swimmer. Hmm. And for some reason, like once we got there, I, I think I just, I was awakened to like the beauty that there was out in the world because when I was in Japan, I just kind of took it for granted. I grew up there 20 years of my life and I think I just stopped seeing the beauty and, and this change of environment really like sparked that again. And I really, I changed my mind to uh, want to be a rescue swimmer because originally the re I didn't realize this until this moment, but I wanted to be a rescue swimmer when I joined the Coast Guard. And what I didn't realize was that I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And I wanted to do it because I was, I kind of wanted to sacrifice my life to save other people, but out of like, it wasn't like a noble cause or anything. It was like a, it was from a really dark place. Like I, I was like, well, I don't care about my life. Like I have nothing going on. And, but I know that I, I'm physically capable of doing this job. So why not like sacrifice my life for this and, and use my body, you know, kind of in that way. Mm. And so once when I got to Alaska, I realized, like, no, like, there's, I actually value my life right now, like this kind of, this beauty that I'm able to see with my own eyes. And 
I was just really enjoying life for the first time. Mm. So I think that's what really like changed in me where I decided that, oh, like I wasn't valuing my life before this. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really profound realization to have <laughs> um, that I feel like many people maybe don't have their whole life or they don't have until the very end of their life. Um, so it's pretty incredible that that emerged. Um, but I wanted to sort of uh, first, just just paint a picture of what it means in case anyone listening doesn't even understand what it entails to become a Coast Guard diver um, in terms of the boot camp, what you have to be able to do and then what your day to day looks like. So do you mind just sort of explaining that first? Because um, I know it's like one of the hardest things a person can do. Um, yeah. Why, like why once you decided, OK, I'm going to I'm going to join. What did it entail and how did it go for you? So. The diving program was, it was kind of an op- a special opportunity that came up. And when I first graduated from boot camp, I was in Alaska. And I remember hearing about the diving program briefly. Like, I didn't even really think about it. It just, someone was going for it. And I, I was like, oh, I'm not even eligible yet. I have to be like a certain rank. And I need all these, basically, I wasn't the right rank. I was like, two ranks below what I needed to be to even apply. So I was like, well, I'm just going to throw that in the back of my head. And so I, I went to a different, um, I went to engineering school in the Coast Guard and then I got stationed in Oregon after that. And I did a bunch of, uh, Buddhist activity there too. It was great. Um, and this station that I was at was, uh, the perfect place to be for uh, training for to become a diver. And it required a lot of physical training, a lot of like mental training too. So I just started like doing my own thing. I was swimming all the time. I was running in the cold and I had to submit like a PT test, but it's like a physical training test. It involves like five different categories like running, swimming, push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, and in a certain, like, amount of them in a certain time. Mm. And you just wanted to have, like, a competitive scores. Mm. So I submitted that to the dive program, and and next thing I knew, I was accepted to go to the screener, which is, like, prior to the actual school. So I flew to New Jersey for five days, went to the screener, and just got beat like it was it was rough like my whole body was sore in places I'd never felt soreness before and and during that time too something that was interesting was so they would pick a a leader to lead the the group Mm -hmm. right and he would be in charge of like uh getting everyone formed up and and uh stepping off to go to the to get beat at the next place and just like in charge of the whole group. And at a certain point that person gets fired, right? Cause they didn't do something right. And then eventually they picked me to be the leader. And I was like, Oh boy, like I'm, it's <laughs> the last thing I want to do right now. Like I'm already at this like hard screening thing and then to put on another responsibility. Right. Hmm. But that was actually exactly what I needed was like this 
this sense of responsibility for the whole team. Mm-hmm. And so, it, I don't know, it gave me like this, this push when I really needed it. Cause I was doubting myself throughout this whole, throughout the five days. And at the very end, uh, so we started with about 20 people and we ended up with like 10 cause people quit. And at the end we did personal interviews with the instructors to see like, uh, how we did. And I was the first one to go get interviewed because I was the class leader at that time. And they like, I was pretty much, I was like, yep, I, I didn't do that great. I saw like five or six other guys doing way better than me throughout this time. And, you know, I, I was pretty much like, I accepted that I didn't make it. And right at the end, they were like, you're going to dive school. And I was just like, super confused and shocked. <laughs> but it was like the best feeling. It's like one of the best feelings I've had. Mm-hmm. I remember after that, they said, all right, just go uh, walk to the the pool. It was like a, a mile walk. And I just remember, like, I couldn't hold my smile. And I was like cheesing. And I was at a it was at the place where we had boot camp. So it's very like formal place. And mm-hmm. there's like people that are getting, that are just joining the Coast Guard, getting beat all over the place. So you're just like, I have to like keep my composure, but I like couldn't. I was just like <laughs> smiling hardcore. And um, so after that, they sent us back to our home. You know, I went back to Oregon and they said, all right, in about a year, you're going to go to dive school. And I was like, dang, I have to wait a whole year, like, from now, you know, so I just had to train, like, every single day, and keep that high intensity, because dive school was, like, a five-month version of that five days, Mm. so, and it was at a Navy school in Florida, so that month was basically, or not month, that year of training was my time to train myself physically, mentally, and also I I committed myself to doing as much as I could for the um, Buddhist community too. Hmm. And I would host meetings at my house. It was just a really good time for everything. Everything was like lining up and it was it was great. Can I just ask, so um, I, I imagine, I mean, to make it through like diving school but even the five days that you're describing but I'm imagining it was so much worse (laughs) the longer version of it um I imagine that you can't go in with an attitude that's like yeah whatever I could do this you know it's like a whole different ball game like your your mindset has to be crystal clear it it sounds like um so I'm wondering like what role your Buddhist practice played in like you really being able to solidify your purpose to even make it through that um you know what I mean? Because you said originally you were like, yeah, when you first decided to to join, you were like, I could do this, whatever. But it was coming from a place of not valuing your life. So I'd love to hear about sort of that change. I I don't know what it was in me, but I had this like, I was so motivated for some reason. I just, I really like pushed myself and I, I didn't have anyone like, to look at to get help from during this time for training. I just, I was also so involved in my Buddhist community and Buddhist practice. And I was really putting the effort into make the meetings and 
and do what I could all the time. I was constantly taking action. I think that was a big, big goal or big part of it too. Um, when I was in at dive school, um, I had my own room to stay in and for that five months. So I was able to chant every day and I was able to get connected with this amazing family who just would pick me up and take me to meetings. And, and there was a certain, uh, there was a moment where they asked me to give an experience. So mm-hmm. I was like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. And I don't know. It just, it really like, I feel like the, the Buddhist, this Buddhist practice and the opportunities that come up really like it does something like just accepting a a challenge you know like I was asked to give an experience I could have easily said like oh sorry I'm too busy I have dive school you know which if I said that it would have they would have taken that you know they're like oh yeah you def yeah you are busy but I was like like let's do it because I just know that when I in the past, I've accepted these challenges and as opportunities, and it really like it grew my expanded my life condition. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's um. It's interesting. I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who's listening who might be really new to Buddhism. Um, people like always share like when they're in the hardest challenges of their life they like up their buddhist practice they like chant more or they participate more in the community and it's not something that's very easy to understand because if you just look at it in terms of your schedule you're you're adding stuff to your plate um so if i could just ask a follow-up there like when you say you were able to expand your life condition just for someone who's like new and doesn't quite understand what that means what do you mean like how does that look what does that look like in your daily life you know yeah it's hard to explain that too it's like it's one of those things like it's definitely easier to just to experience it you know Mm. but it a sense of like joy and confidence courage um compassion Mm. like all these like things like come out I feel like it I'm able to take on more and I'm able to like those little moments that you have when you're, or at least or these moments I have where it might be laziness. It might be um, just all these like negative things where I'm, I'm like, Oh, I don't feel like doing this. I don't, I don't want to go to that uh, get together with people. Cause I don't feel like socializing. Like all those things are almost like, those aren't a thing anymore when you, when, when you have this feeling of like an expanded life condition, it just feels like, like naturally I'm going to do that. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm not lazy. Like those words don't even exist. They're not even in my vocabulary when I'm in that life condition. Mm. It's all about like taking action. It's all about winning, you know, and I feel like that becomes me yeah yeah that's actually a really really good way to put it um it's funny i had a conversation with someone recently and they i had never thought of this before but they made a comment that um to take responsibility like if you think of the word responsibility 
all it means is that you are able to respond, mm. which is like really practical. It's not like this big, like, I don't know, I, I have to do all these things because it's like emotionally my responsibility or something. It's just like if a human being is able to respond in any situation, that's what it means to take responsibility. And I was mind blown. Yeah. It's, otherwise, you could just let life happen to you and be like, oh, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, there were days, especially in the beginning, where I I got back to my room after a long day and I felt like quitting. I just felt like I was going to get kicked out because I didn't uh, perform the way they wanted or, you know, so many other reasons. And yeah, I would I would go back home and kind of sit there. And, and there would be a point where it's like, all right, like, I, I can't just sit here and, like, continue this cycle of thinking that I'm going to drop out of this school that I've been training so hard for. And so, yeah, I would, I would chant and I would try to, like, like, calm myself down. Yeah. Oh, my God. What an intense process. So when did you officially become a diver? How long was that whole journey? So from dive school till becoming a diver was probably like a year. So yeah, cause five months, like it wasn't over yet. You know, like oh I had gosh. this mindset like, oh, I made it, you know, so I'm, I'm a diver now, but I had to get qualified as to become like officially a diver. And I had to do a bunch of like sign offs and like meet all these standards. And one of the most challenging things for me was. So it's called a console operator and it's to send surface supplied air to the divers underwater through a hose so that they can breathe underwater. And so I'm operating this box that is connected to air and uh, has all these valves on it and I have to I'm basically in charge somewhat like in charge of their lives and the whole dive and and I had to stay like on track with it and I'm also talking to the divers and well I'm relaying what the dive supervisor is saying to me and then also I had to do charting which is like writing down when they left surface when they reach bottom when, how long they're on bottom, um, their ascent rate, and when they reach surface, and then any like issues that come along in that during that time. I have to do all this stuff while I'm managing their air and talking to the divers. For me, that was just a lot. And I, I have a lot of issues with like, math and working with numbers. Mm. So yeah, that was a huge challenge for me. And it took me like, the first time I, I went for my board to uh, get qualified, I failed like really bad and I like, I didn't prepare enough for it. And, um, but you know, I, I went home and I really like went into the books. I really studied, I practiced. And then the next time I passed, but then there's like three parts to the board. And so I took a no the next part of it and that too, I failed, you know, I failed like 
two times on this whole process and it really like one thing is I never like got down about it hmm. I was I was like if anything it fired me up to to like keep practicing keep studying and also with my Buddhist practice too I was I was like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get this and I remember the day that I came in for my final board which I was like so confident I was gonna pass even uh one of the higher ups was like I walked in the office and he was like I feel like a different energy today <laughs> like he just he felt good about it too and I was like yeah like I'm gonna do it <laughs> wow what an intense journey and how do you like what is just again for if someone doesn't understand what it means to be a coast guard diver like what what kind of what is the work now yeah so yeah definitely things are not as intense anymore like i'm finally able to like chill out and enjoy being a diver um but yeah as far as work goes we out here we do a lot of buoy maintenance so all the buoys out there in the ocean we'll go out there and inspect them and if the the chain like is constantly getting rubbed on each other from the bouncing of the waves. So the chain wears out over time and we'll measure it. If it's too thin, uh, we'll swap it out. We'll like lift it up with balloons, underwater balloons. And it's a lot of fun. And we'll like <laughs> put it all back together. It's like a big puzzle underwater, but you're rushed because of air quantity because we're in scuba dive mode. Right. So if you run out of air, you know, it's just more, um, no one likes it when you run out of air. So yeah. <laughs> you'll get it, you'll get, uh, uh, in trouble for that. Yeah. It was about a year. And then I've been a diver for about two years. I see. I see. Wow. And, um, like in terms of your your day to day, just looking back on this kind of journey, because what now you said you're 29, right? So you've been mm -hmm. practicing for eight, nine years ish yeah. from the day you really started. Like how how if you think about the Alex from then and the Alex now, you know, like how do you see your your purpose in your daily life now? Like what, what do you feel like the main kind of transformation has been? The main transformation is I don't feel like lost as much. I, I mean, there's definitely times where I feel like um, I've kind of like fell off or something, but I see it as like this, like a straight line and the straight line is like, like the path, like I'm, I'm on the path, right? And I'm like a wave that goes like back and forth on this line. And that before when I wasn't practicing or when I just started, I felt like the waves were way longer and I would only hit the path like every month, like once a month or something, hmm. if that makes sense. And the more I practiced, the more I took action for my life and responsibility, that wave was so much smaller that I was on that path all the time like it was more of like a day-to-day -day thing like not like I'm not having bad days anymore I'm just having bad like moments and then I'll figure out how to make a shift in my life to to get 
things good again. Yeah. Huh. That's a really interesting uh, visualization or, or analogy. I really like that because it's true. You know, I think, um, again, for anyone who's listening, who struggles with any kind of, I guess, darkness, like everyone has their own version of it where it isn't like a snap your fingers and it's gone, but it's like, it's very easy to just, um, it's, it's like a life pattern that you, or karma, whatever you want to call it, right? That like we challenge through chanting, but I've heard people really share like the, the way that I know that it's changed is the time between each episode gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which is yeah, very exactly. significant, you know? Yeah. So like my, like my purpose now I feel is, is to like spread peace and happiness. You know, I really want to, I see that as like my mission now. And before, like I would, when I was like reading, studying the Buddhist material, you know, that is said a lot, you know, like that, that's, that's like Kosen Rufu or world peace. Mm. Um, and I finally like grasped that, like, that is like the most noble cause, you know, to like go that route. And there's nothing greater than that. And um, I was recently appointed as the as a young uh, men's chapter leader out here. And so like now I really feel like my mission is to like unite with the young men out here and and really get them involved and connected. Yeah, it seems like this like steady stream in your practice has also been being involved with the community. And that's a question I think that comes up for many people where they're like, okay, so chanting seems to make sense and I, I can just do it. But then like, why, why do you also have the community? Um, but yeah, it, it makes sense what you're, what you're describing. Cause like when you are working for the happiness of other people, you have to like get out of your own head. Like you can't stay stuck too long in your own stuff, which actually just helps you along yeah. the way. Exactly. Yeah. So um, on that note, do you have because uh, you said you were you've, when you started studying the Buddhist materials, um, you sort of like now you get that. But do you is there any like along this whole journey, favorite Buddhist concept or quote that you've held on to? Yeah. So um, it changes, you know, like I it's during certain moments of my life, certain concepts will really like speak out to me. Mm. Um, more recently, uh, this one I've been, I've been really enjoying. So praying as earnestly as though to produce fire from damp wood or to obtain water from parched ground. I really like that one because mm. it, it reminds me while I'm chanting to like really chant, you know, like if I think of that quote, if I read that quote while I'm chanting, it just makes me like try to pull that, like, it's like pulling the water out of the parched ground. Like that sort of energy when I'm chanting makes it like worthwhile. Cause there's times where I, you know, I'll sit down and chant and I'm just doing it to do it. And mm -hmm. it's, and I don't like that because it's like, if I'm sitting here, I need a, like really make it worthwhile. And, mm. and this quote has been helping me do that. Yeah. 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 I love that. It's funny actually that that's what you chose. I don't know if you've thought of that before, but it actually feels like the perfect metaphor for 
everything that you just described <laughs> because oh you know what i mean like if you if you're if the experience that you're sharing is that you were kind of like eh i'll just do this and like that was sort of your basic attitude but then you ultimately have chosen a career path that you you can't like coast to make it you have to fight as hard as you possibly can to make it through it's very similar yeah. it's like a micro version of that kind of <laughs> battle yeah that's true <laughs> that's yeah. awesome um well this has been amazing thank you so much for sharing all of this so honestly um i have one final question which i'll ask which is a sort of advice question for anybody who's listening that might be new to buddhism but maybe struggling in a similar way to kind of how you were um, especially if it comes to sort of valuing their life and and allowing that value to really translate to how they live their daily life um what one piece of advice would you give them One piece of advice. I I would say you got to take action. Like you have to move. It's just like if you just sit there in stagnance, like nothing's going to happen. And as simple as the thought of like telling yourself like, no, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to, I'm going to like just take a step outside or whatever it is that you're struggling against. If you just make that determination in your head and just go, I think that's super important to just do it. Cause I, you know, you can sit there all day and, and think and think it's just, and nothing will come of that. After we spoke, Alex wanted to share these words from Daisaku Ikeda that he feels really encapsulate his journey. They read, The key to value creation is to find joy and meaning in whatever happens, to courageously rise to the challenge. To do that, we need a philosophy of life, we need wisdom, and we need life force. In fact, that is the purpose of our faith. On that note, if you're thinking about participating in our 31-day chanting journey to see what it will do for you, you can sign up at the link in the show notes. You'll get daily email and audio prompts of actions and tips for your chanting journey. If you'd like to share your story with us along the way, feel free to email podcast at sgi-usa.org or tag bootability on social media. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.